You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. This week we have with us Pastor Darren Enns. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. I didn't eat enough turkey to get the... the to, what's the, that chemical? Tryptophan. Tryptophan. What about leftover turkey? No, I, I went to my grandma's house, so I didn't take any leftovers home. You get, okay, so he, I got a Thanksgiving question for you guys here in just a second as we're recording this the week after Thanksgiving. Pastor Drew Tarwater, welcome in. How are you doing? I'm good. I ate a whole can of cranberry jelly sauce. Did you even like take it out of the can? You just spoon it? <laughs> no, I took it out. We, we took it out and we sliced it. Okay. And it, it was the, you know, the jelly, not the, not the whole berries, but you know, the one that looks like, you know, like uh, jello. And basically we sliced it and then I pretty much ate every slice. Oh, so good. <laughs> and I'm Rob Lazzi. So you got Darren, you're talking about Turkey. Do is there any other side dishes or stuff that you get like a non-traditional side dish or like meat? Like, do you like not have Turkey maybe at a Thanksgiving? Uh, I feel like I've had sausage before. Okay. And sausage where I come from is a big deal. Like Hillsborough sausage is internationally known okay for being really tasty it is it's really and I, good i actually prefer hills sausage over turkey i don't know do people really like turkey can i be an american and say that can we just have have a gripe sesh about turkey it's really dry even though i don't know never mind hey, when's the last time you put turkey on pizza what or never. turkey or turkey on a salad that's my point yeah it's not like one of those like hey let's put some <laughs> It's like you'll put chicken on there. You'll put now at Whole Foods. I'll do the diced turkey on a salad just because I know it's good for me. But yeah, for our Thanksgiving, we had ham and pulled pork, like barbecue. But that's probably not surprising. Well, last last uh, <laughs> Sunday with uh, with our, our joint service with IVA, we had tamales. We did. I'll, have tamales. I'll eat tamales. Oh yeah, that's all anytime. Day. Sounds great all day long. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Thanksgiving's going on. Also, I know Pat. I know uh, Drew's enjoying the World Cup going on. Because uh, yeah, he's you know I mean, now you can watch other people struggle to make three points in ninety minutes for a oh, change. <laughs> it's true that the struggle is real, fellas. <laughs> if the U.S. could just score a goal, then you know we could do some things because we're playing good. We just can't actually put the ball in the net. No, they and scored s- two goals, haven't they? No, they were two draws, zero zero, weren't they? Both zero zero okay, draws. Okay, Drew, there's a difference between scoring a goal and getting a point. No, no. Here's what I mean. I think the first game. Drew, are you a soccer? Drew, you don't. I don't think you understand how it's how the how the World Cup is scored. Let's see here. Okay, here's what we got. It's like tennis, like a game and a match. Two different things. It's true. But we did. I think we had. We've got two draws so far, and I think maybe only one goal. And each game has been one to one. I think the last game was zero 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 for England. Oh, was it England zero zero? Unless let's be honest. Like, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I it, when the World Cup is not during the the summer, I can't follow it. There's too much going on. I do like it during. It's the frustrating. Summer. Yeah. So yeah. let's be we honest. Like, goal. if an England team came over here and played us in American football, 
and tied us, we'd it'd be it'd be an awful time for us Americans. We oh. went we went over, we went and played England and tied them, and really more their game than our game. So I've, it's, it's kind of great. A, it's kind of a little victory. Kind it of is. Little, yeah. I was doing a little risky business style dance. You know, you slide in on your socks and you listen to Bob Seeger. Oh. I didn't do that, actually. Oh. Well, speaking of scoring goals and miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead, John 11. How about that transition there for you, Darren? Yeah, you got that one. And that was off the cuff, too. Man, nice. I might have pulled a hammy on that one. Yeah. That was yeah, a little bit of a stretch. A, you deserve a blue ribbon for that one. Right? So, so we're talking about Lazarus and miracles. Like, yeah. why? Tell me what. Help me out with this uh, miracle, uh, Drew. What's What's cool? So Pete did a great job preaching on the raising of Lazarus. This is the last miracle in the book of John, and you guys might remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But um, John he gives us seven miracles, and uh, a lot of people refer to those as like seven road signs. Each one's kind of each one's kind of building on itself as Jesus is you know, starting his ministry and then Jesus is working his way towards Jerusalem to go on, uh, to, to go to the cross and, ra- and rise from the grave. And so he starts with turning water into wine in Cana in John 2. And that's really, you know, Jesus saying, hey, I'm, it's my, I'm here. Hello world. It's my, my big party. Um, and then he heals an official son from 20 miles away. He heals an invalid in the pool at, Beth- at Bethesda. We talked about that one on the Sabbath. Um, he feeds the 5,000, and then he tells everybody he's the bread of life. And then he, he walks on water. And then one we haven't talked about, but we'll get to someday, is that he heals a blind man in Jerusalem in John 9. And there's this, like, this conversation with the disciples about, well, who sinned to make this man blind? And Jesus said, well, well nobody did. And so that was a, kind of a in, really interesting thing to lean into because back then they thought that, you know, often it was your sin that caused you to be uh, malformed or to be blind or deaf or something like that. Would it be uh, their whether, version of like the prosperity gospel? Sort, yeah, right. Yeah, it was a very, the Old Testament, you know, you can see there, even in the, in the Old Testament writers, there's still this view of like reward and punishment based on obedience in, in so many ways. And so often it was... Oh, well, if you're blind, then you must have done something wrong or your parents did something wrong. So Jesus debunks that. And then in John 11, we see Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so you, know, you notice he turns water into wine. He heals somebody from 20 miles away. And then he, he heals somebody on the Sabbath. All that builds towards this picture of like Jesus doesn't just heal people. He brings dead things and makes them alive. And so there's, there's something powerful in this order. One of the things also to note about John, and, and Pete hit this a little bit, was that John is not a synoptic gospel, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic gospels. You say synoptic, hit, what does that mean? Synoptic means that they're similar. So okay. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar um, in their order. They're similar in the stories told, uh, albeit from different angles, right, from each of the, the, the people who are the main sources. But John, John's not chronological. So you might look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke and go, oh, man, you know, he's telling the story from start to finish. John's not really doing that. John actually puts him in an order to tell the story of who Jesus is. Uh, to point us to the cross and the empty tomb. And so, you know, when John uh, gives us Jesus' first miracle in, John, in Cana in John 2, was that Jesus' first miracle? A lot of people think it was, but these seven miracles aren't really in order necessarily of 
when Jesus did them, these seven miracles are more in order of what John's trying to convey and that Jesus goes from, hey, I have power over elements to I have power over distance to now I have power over the Sabbath. And now he's saying I have power over death and life because I can bring the dead back to life. So there's so many cool little threads you can pull at in these miracles. Um, but it, it really, you know, the exclamation point is on this one with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead because Jesus pros, proves to us and shows us that he is the one who has power over death. And when you have Jesus on your side, you have, he gives you the power of life. So it's just a really beautiful picture. So with talking about the story of Lazarus, is it in any other gospels or told anywhere else? Is it in? I don't think so. I think it's just John. Because what I was told with John, because he was the last gospel to be written too, wasn't it? Theoretically. It's really hard to prove all that, but the best evidence points to his being a later gospel, yeah. Because sometimes then, like, where it was saying where, and what I've read, heard, is that John was also filling in the gaps of what the other gospels may not have put in. Because, like, there's a saying, the verse in there says there's so many other miracles that that weren't written down. Yeah, like at the end of, of John's gospel, it, he, he writes, like, these are written so that you may know and believe that Jesus is God. And if I were to write everything down that Jesus did, like, there wouldn't be enough parchment. So, yeah, yeah John, he says that. So, I mean, so they select, like Drew was saying, they selected him uh, carefully. So uh, why is this, like, uh, what's the importance of this sign of raising Lazarus from the dead? Well, as, as Drew already said, um, it's the last one, it's the greatest one. And if you think about it, it really foreshadows uh, Jesus's last. I mean, it, you, you could you could say that Jesus raising from the dead himself is his last sign. Um, and so there's like eight miracles, maybe. But um, they like it. It just foreshadows what the end of the book really does. When when Lazarus is raised from the dead, it points to like Jesus again, as Drew said, having power over death. Um, and so, that, but the other thing that's significant about chapters eleven and twelve is that it's it's the great um, like transition or, or hinge point in the gospel of John itself, because once this miracle happens, we start getting into um, the the pat what we call the Passion Week, which is the the week starting on Palm Sunday that leads up to the resurrection of Jesus on the next Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, and so we have the death of Lazarus here in in chapter eleven. And uh, it's really important then that later on in chapter 11, starting at verse 45, um, the NIV labels this little story here as the plot to kill Jesus. And as you read it, they are worried that Jesus, who has this massive following, he's doing all these signs, they have decided that he is not like someone from God and they need to, to take care of this problem. And so verse 48 of chapter 11 says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And for the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the, of the Jews, having Torah, temple, and the land was the most important thing. Because if they didn't have that, then they could not fulfill like God's purpose for them because they thought it was tied to to, to the people. And so the Messiah was among them doing something new, bringing in the real kingdom of God, but they missed it. And they're worried that Rome is going to come and, and destroy them and take away everything that they do. And so then from, from there on, verse 49 says, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he spoke up, you know nothing at all. Don't you realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? 
So he's saying, Jesus, it's better that Jesus dies than the whole nation dies. And uh, so he, he's kind of putting Jesus into this, um, like, stepping, he, he's going to die on behalf of the nation, because if he doesn't die, then Rome's going to come and kill the whole nation. So unknowingly, he is prophesying that Jesus is going to die on behalf of the nations. And that's mm. actually true. And that, that's this big hinge point. And from this moment, we start heading towards the cross in, in John chapter 19. You know, it's interesting because sometimes people will say, well, why did the, the Jews send, you know, send Jesus to the cross, you know, if they thought he could have been the Messiah or if they looked at, you know, these, these miracles and thought, well, you know, could he be the one we're waiting on? And I, I think this right here just, just goes to prove that in their mind, Jesus was, was a liar. Jesus was claiming to be God. He was a blasphemer that, that Jesus, you know, he, he gets criticized for, you know, for casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, which was one of their, you know, you know, kind of a slang words for devil. Yeah. Another word for devil. Yeah. And so they really thought that Jesus was like this evil guy and he kept calling them out and embarrassing them. And so I don't, I think in their mind that they thought there was no way that Jesus was the Messiah that he did look nothing like the one we're waiting on to come. And somehow he's doing these authority, he's doing these things and he's speaking with authority and he knows the, the word, but, but there's no way he's doing these miracles because of God. Uh, and so they, they, this is like Darren said, the hinge point from here. We see now, you know, Judas is going to betray him. They work this deal where Judas is going to get 30 pieces of silver to give him over. Uh, I don't think Jude, you know, Judas knew that he was going to be killed for it. I think he just thought he was going to get arrested and so, yeah, this really is such a hinge point here because these Pharisees and, and the Sanhedrin, you know, in their mind, you know, God uses this to fulfill so many scriptures, uh, you know, like Psalm 2, right? You know, he's using this to fulfill so many scriptures, but they just don't know it yet because God's weaving behind, behind the scenes. And this is the way it had to be because if they understood a, even an inkling of who Jesus was, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had this plot to kill him, which he needed to go to the cross to pay the penalty of sin and, and to rise from the grave to defeat death. So this is all part of God's plan. And just like when God Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart, we, we don't know if God's hardening the Sanhedrin's heart here, but we know that their heart were, it was extremely hard towards Jesus. No, absolutely. Going back to the death of Lazarus, this is a question I've always had, and I think people always frame it in different ways as, you know, you know, Lazarus dies, Jesus gets word of it, and then he waits. Is there, is right. there a, re, like, I hear people always go like, you know, this is when you ask for prayer requests or, you know, you pray to God and sometimes, mm-hmm. he, sometimes he, he says wait. But is there, is there a reason Jesus is waiting here to go where he probably knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? He could have, he goes, okay, done. You know? Yeah. It's really interesting because Jesus is, you know, out doing his thing and he gets word that Lazarus is sick and then he tells him, hey, don't worry, he's, he's going to be okay. And he sends word back and, um, you know, John chapter 11 verse 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Martha, Mary and Lazarus, they're like, they're really close. And so, you know, Jesus, Jesus knows Lazarus is sick and we're going to even see Jesus cry when Jesus gets there. He weeps that Lazarus is, is dead, but yet it shows you his human side. Like Jesus loved this family, but yet Jesus knew that he was going to use Lazarus's death 
to raise him from the grave as this miracle that points forward to what he's going to do at being the resurrection and the life. And so he, it says that in verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And so it's like, well, why would he do that? Um, but, but I think there's a reason he did. And, and there's something that Pete hit on this yesterday. So when somebody died in Jewish, in Jew, Jewish uh, you know, religious folklore, there was this, this view that the spirit hung around the body for three days. And it was a part of the tradition of Ben Kafra. Darren, you pr- correct me if I pronounce that wrong. And the idea um, is... I'm not looking at the Hebrew, so I don't okay. know. You're off the hook. <laughs> Good. So the idea was like for three days, the spirit hovers above the, above the tomb. And um, at some point, that body could come back in the spirit and the guy could come back to life. But after the third day, it abandons the body. The, the spirit moves on. And so by Jesus waiting till day four to go see Lazarus, he was proving to the Jews that there is no religious folklore, there is no superstition that can be related to this, that no, Lazarus is dead. Like, by Jewish tradition, he is dead. And so when Jesus comes in and says, roll that stone out of the way, Lazarus, get up. He's demonstrating his ultimate power and authority over life. He's not just turning grape water into grape, or you know juice he's not just he, telling it's a man, wine drew wine. you can, you can say wine can i can i say it yeah, yeah. this is an old baptist church <laughs> <laughs> i know is he's not saying hey dude you who have a, a bad leg here i'm gonna you know snap my fingers in and now all of a sudden your your ligaments are healed or he's not even telling the blind man hey i'm gonna spit on some mud and your eyes are gonna see he's taking a dude who's completely dead whose heart's not beating who according to jewish tradition his spirit has left his body and he's raising him from the dead demonstrating that jesus has ultimate authority over life and death and so jesus waited two days to signify the importance of the 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 miracle that he was getting ready to uh to work to reveal an amazing truth that he truly is God himself in the flesh. Drew, I think there's something significant in what you said a couple weeks ago, um, how like healing doesn't always look like, look how we want it. I think you mentioned that in context of healing the, the layman on the Sabbath mm-hmm. because he, he wanted to be healed and, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And, and the man's like, no, that's not, Okay, thank you. Uh, but <laughs> right. but I, 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 I'd want to walk. And yeah. Jesus does it almost out of spite um, to heal on the Sabbath, to like just dig at the Pharisees a little bit. Yep. It's kind of comical. But uh, yeah, there's something significant in that heal. So if we ask for healing, like, man, I've got a bum leg. I, I want to be able to, to walk. Um, I'm, I'm just chronically sick that I have some kind of thing that that's causing me to, um, you know, always have to fight off the sickness and, and a weak immune system. God, I want to be healed. Well, if you pray for healing, sometimes you don't get to decide what that looks like. And that can be really tough. And you, you have to hold your life in an open hand. And um, it's it's really tough. Like there, there are so many, there are a lot of people I know, even some who are listening that have prayed for healing and for, for this one thing and God hasn't healed you. Um, I, I think it, like God will heal you, and of course we, we can say like, oh, He'll heal you, like you know when when you get resurrected in, at the end of of time. Like, yeah, but what about now? Like Jesus heals people <laughs> now. Why I want that? Um, it's that's just it's really hard, and and I just want to acknowledge that. Like if reading these stories of of the miracles of, of Jesus healing people, 
It, and then, like Mary and Martha wanted Lazarus to be healed before he died, or even like within the three days after he died. Um, but they didn't get to decide what that looked like for them. And, and it was definitely really tough for them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a great point. You know, Jesus often did things his way, and we often look at Jesus now and go, hey, Jesus, I want you, you know, I need this, I need that. And, and you know, one of the mistakes I think believers often make is we, we look at Jesus like a genie in a bottle. Hey, Jesus, I want this, and I want it like this, and I want it now. And But you see in Jesus' life, often people would ask him to do something, and then he would he would not deny it, but he would just do it a different way, or, or he would delay. Or, you know, like when the, the officials asked him to come and go back with him, Jesus is like, nope, I don't need to go back. Your son's already healed. Like, I'm going to heal him from 20 miles away. I don't need to walk however many miles it is with you. I'm going to go ahead and do it and heal it my way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often people say, well, Jesus, I want you to do it this way. And Jesus would delay, but he wouldn't deny it. He would do it still, but he would do it in his way because he knew that his way would bring the most glory to God and his way would reveal other truths to us. And by waiting on his way, it teaches us how to trust him. So I think, yeah, I think you're right, Darren. There's a huge truth to us that if we can learn to trust in God's timing and trust in the way he delivers it, he's going to come through in the right way for us. And we're going to look back and realize that we've learned something through it. We've learned to trust even more and that God's way was right in the end. It was better than what we wanted to happen. So it's not a de- it's not a denial. It's just a delay from our vantage point because Jesus is going at his time and his pace to accomplish the greatest good and glory for God. Yeah, it's interesting to think of that with uh, you know the timing, but wouldn't a lot of critics kind of just go, well, now you're just trying to get both of, both sides of the story. You're going to like, well, if Jesus says no or wait, it's like, do miracles actually happen? You know, or do, does God answer prayer requests and those, those type of things? So it's, it's an interesting, like when you talk to people outside of Christianity, they're going... Oh, you're just trying to get it on both sides. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've got uh, this. Is a thought I've had. I've, I've done some reading on this too. Um, we in the Western world are far too attached to chronological time. Um, like when we say something's going to happen at 9 a.m., we expect it to happen at 9 a.m. Unless Drew's and involved. It, <laughs> 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 9:04. 9:04. So, but like we, we say church starts at 10 and we start our five minute countdown at 10. Uh, like that, that's just, a, it's fine. But uh, still, like if it doesn't start by 10, 10, people are getting antsy, you know? But, and, and in Western culture like ours, uh, we, we're really attached to, to our timing. And if it doesn't happen now, then something's wrong. And um, there are other cultures. And I heard the story of, of a missionary, <clears throat> I think it was in Thailand, um, there, there was a word that meant midday and he, he kind of learned from other people that that this means like from 1030 to maybe like 230, that's midday, almost like we would be saying noon, but for us, noon is a specific time. Okay. It's 12 o'clock and it doesn't matter where the sun is or what temperature it is outside, but it, that's noon. And, um, but in, in this, this word in, in that this missionary was learning, he, he eventually discovered that it had nothing to do with time. It actually had to do with the heat. Like when it got to a certain temperature where it felt like morning was over, that is this time. 
And so when church starts at this time, it's not tied at at this word that might translate in English to midday. It doesn't mean noon. It doesn't mean 1030. It means when the sun gets hot. And that's that's bizarre because that can be anywhere from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And he's like and that for us that just really makes us feel antsy. It's like wait, church starts when it gets hot. How in the world is that going to work? Like nobody can decide cuz I am always warmer than my wife. She's always frigid. So for her <laughs> it'll be like 2 2 p.m. and for me it'll be 9 a.m. And so but that that just go and I could talk more about that, but that just goes to show you that different cultures and and we in the west are really tied to chronological time. But for for a storyteller like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are not concerned with chronological orders of events, and that's why they can mix it up. It, they, they have the main story. Jesus was born. He's the Son of God. He died. And the other details can just be filled in whenever it's appropriate. Whereas for us, we're like, wait, when did that happen? Because we're so tied to this time. And so when, when we're talking about timing of miracles, like... It, in the West, we get antsy if it doesn't happen now because we want it now. We expect it to happen now. And if not now, then when? You mean I have to wait for that? Two days. And, and I ordered timing. that miracle on Amazon. <laughs> it's actually Jeff Bezos's fault. <laughs> but that that timing just really messes no, with us. So if it's on God's timing, yeah. That's an interesting thought there, Darren, where like, especially in the translation and the time and all that, also, what's interesting is like what Drew is saying is like it's showing the power that God has over death. Is what ty- what type of God would you want to follow that goes, "Hey, I, I can't, I don't have power over death and life." By the way, mm-hmm. so it's it's that sort of like, "Hey, I got this whole encompassing thing." But are there other gods and worldviews that like where they claim the same power? Or like in the major worldviews, I know there's probably you know, but like in the majors, are there hmm. gods that go like, "Yeah, I got this power." You know, it's interesting. I mean, I think every pagan mythological or false worldview is a um, kind of a corruption of of the gospel and mm-hmm. of what we see in the Bible, right? So, like every you look at Greek mythology, you look at um, man, you want to look at, at, at Hindu, Buddha, you want to look at you know all these. There's there's always some great teacher. Uh, you want to look at Islam, you know, this idea of God. Islam, you know, just uh, flips things. It's, 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 it's almost like they're, it's, they're looking through a cracked mirror. And so they're trying to make sense of it where, you know, where God is putting, you know, his law, his, his word on our heart. Um, and, and so I know there are, like, if you look at some of the old Egyptian gods, you know, there was the sun God, Ra, um, you know, he was, you know, you know, Amon Ra was the one who had the power to, to give life and those kind of things. Uh, but it's all a misconstrual of the real gospel of what, of how God is the creator. And, and so, yeah, I think if you, if you dive in, I don't know, is it Zeus, you know, that has the power to give life, you know, and, and, you know, Greek mythology, each of them have some kind of a, uh, of a false, um, character that they want to be the Jesus character, but they just miss it. Uh, and if they could just look through that and see, wait, no, actually, Jesus is the one that we're looking for. God is the one that is speaking the true story. Then it would make a lot of sense to them. But I think they've just tried to fill in their own blanks. Um, so I think there are those characters out there. But, yeah, I, I love what you said, Darren, about just timing. You know, I think if you go look at people who live in South America and Central America and Africa and Asia, where the church is just exploding, there's so much faith and trust. And it's because these people aren't tied into these super tight timelines like like, like the Western world is. Um, and so, you know, I, I think 
it's probably a Western way of thinking, Rob, where you you try to say, well, God didn't deliver when I asked him to, so I'm just, you know, when, when he did deliver, I'm going to just try to make sense of it from both angles. I think there is this idea of trust built in. And what I love about this miracle is that it, Jesus gives us one of the I am statements in here as well. You know, it's like Martha and Mary are like, well, you know, Jesus, I wish you would have been here. And Jesus is like, well, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to, to remain dead. And they're like, well, I know at the end of the time, you know, that he's going to get raised from the grave. And Jesus knows, no, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Like I hold the power. I hold the keys to life in my hand. Um, and so I just think, yeah, this miracle, it's a hinge point. It's powerful. And if we can learn to look at it, it reveals so much truth to us about who Jesus really is. Oh, it's crazy to think about it. As we wrap this up, any parting thoughts here? Uh, we'll start with Darren. Any parting thoughts? Yeah, there's one thing, actually. I was looking towards uh, John, uh, end of 19. Um, All of this is written down, John says, so that you may believe. But all the way through the gospel, rarely do people believe. And in fact, when Jesus goes to the cross and has this whole trial, his disciples abandon him. John includes Peter's second and third denials, and then the rooster famously crows. Um, And later in John chapter 19, when Jesus dies, um, the, let me find it. Um, so like in, in verse 35, it talks about this soldier who pierced the side of Jesus and blood and flow, blood and water flowed from him. And the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may believe that that is a soldier, a, a pagan Roman soldier who, who did this. And his testimony is something that causes people to, to be believed. And so and, and I think this happens in other gospels too, where there's this soldier says, surely this is the son of God. He is like this pagan is like the first Gentile to be welcomed into the family of God based on his belief. And so th- this whole thing, you know, climaxes in, in the, the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus. And in those moments, we find people who witness it and cannot deny it. And those things are written down so that we might believe. Drew, any parting thoughts? Well, I love what Darren just said. I think, too, you know, this morning I was reading 1 Corinthians 15 and, you know, kind of in some quiet time. And, you know, Paul basically says that same thing. You know, he says, he says, hey, you know, what I've delivered to you is of most importance. And it's been confirmed by the scripture, right? That Christ was born according to scriptures, died according to scriptures, rose from the grave according to scriptures. And here's how you can believe it, because Peter saw and James saw and I saw and then 500 of the guys saw it. And so. Go and talk to him. Go and talk to him, yeah. You know, and there's that scene at the end of uh, the Gospels where Thomas is like, well, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And Jesus sees Thomas, and Thomas puts his hand on his, he touches the, the nail hole in his hand, and he's like, I believe. And Jesus is like, yes, you do. And blessed are those who, who believe without seeing. And so his idea is like, I'm forever going to be building my church based on this truth that I'm the Messiah who died uh, on the cross and rose from the grave. And everybody who comes from here is going to have to believe it by hearing it because they're not going to see it. And so I'm going to give you all of these proofs so you can believe. And so I think these miracles just keep building on each other. If Jesus would have raised Lazarus from the dead as the first miracle, well, you know, and, and water and the wine on the last miracle, you know, then, then yeah, it's really cool, but it loses some of its significance. I think there's some serious importance of Jesus raising Lazarus last in the book of John. And it is so that we'll have faith and believe and put our trust in Jesus, not as just some cool prophet or teacher, but truly as the savior of the world 
who we can trust that timing and life are in his hands. Um, so I think the takeaway, Rob, for us, man, is just to, to, to learn to, to see Jesus for who he says he is and um, allow that to increase our faith and trust in him um, as we spend more time with him and as we you know, dive in deeper into his word. No, absolutely. If you have questions about life, faith, uh, your relationship with Jesus or how to do that, reach out to us, life at ForefrontChurch.tv. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to help you with next steps, what that looks like. So reach out to us, life at ForefrontChurch.tv, or if you just have questions, we'd love to hear from you. So, Or if you're at Forefront Church on the weekend, feel free to put a connection card in the box in the back. We'd love to hear from you that way as well. So thank you so much for listening, Pastor Darren Enns. Thank you for your time. You betcha. Pastor Drew Tarwater, thank you so much. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for listening, and I'm Rob Lawson. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.